Hello and welcome back to another episode of You Want to Do What with Dan and Judy. Today we've got Lucy Brown on, who is a recruitment consultant. Hi, Lucy. Hello. How are we today? Uh, we are very good, despite the rain. How are you guys? Yeah, good despite yeah, the good, rain. <laughs> <laughs> um, should we jump straight in there, Lucy? Do you want to tell everyone a bit about what you do? Sure. Um, so for the last um, actually over 20 years now, I've been a recruitment consultant focusing on banks and hedge funds. And we do um, almost entirely front office recruitment and um, C-suite level roles. So um, like CRO, uh, CTO, COO, kind of anything you can put a C to. <laughs> wow. So how did you get involved in that then? Um, entirely by accident. Um, to, to be honest, I don't know a lot of people who um, go into recruitment by design. Um, but I came to the UK, like a lot of people planning to spend uh, a year or so here and traveling. And um, my uncle uh, was a metals trader. He put me in touch with the recruitment consultant he used. And then when I went to speak to them, they offered me a job working for them. Wow. And uh, sort of the rest is history. And um, I, well, I guess in 2007, um, we started our own firm, so myself and uh, a business partner in New York called Pamela Valerie. So for the past 14 years, uh, the two of us have been working at, um, at our own firm called Avonwick. Okay. So how did you find recruitment when you first started? Because it's quite, um, it's quite a fast paced job, isn't it? Um, I think it depends what kind of recruitment you're in. So what <clears throat> I've tended to do has been um, very low volume recruitment. Um, so typically focusing on kind of, I'd say three to five assignments a month. Um, so I guess the shock to me was more... Um, in terms of how you get information, how you benchmark candidates, because usually the pool of candidates we have for a given role is, is quite small. So that, that was the, I guess, the surprise to me. Um, but also at the same time, it's what made it interesting. Did you always focus on sort of this high level um, recruitment or did you have um, other roles that you were looking for as well um, over your time of being a recruiter? Um, Sure. So I guess I, uh, in the beginning, it was, um, well, I was supporting a recruitment consultant. So I was working on um, more high level roles for them. And then um, for myself, I was doing more mid-level. So um, people usually with about, say, eight to 10 years experience. I guess it's completely different. Like you kind of said earlier, when you're recruiting for, you know, C-suite level roles, is it much more about developing long-term relationships with these kind of candidates? It is. Um, I think actually you've hit the nail on the head there because what typically happens is we'll get um, a request from a client that they're looking for someone with a, a certain type of profile and, you know, a background um, perhaps in, you know, uh, for example, in corporate banking with a focus on oil and gas and infrastructure. And there's really only a handful of people um, who have that kind of background. So it's about having the relationships with them 
understanding what motivates them. And uh, the part that I find particularly interesting is sort of the, the puzzle, kind of figuring out, you know, for where that person is in their career, is this right fit for them? And equally for the bank or the hedge fund and the role that they're looking for, is this person going to add value for them? So is it quite competitive in the space you're in between recruitment agencies for, because like you say, there's only very few people that will fit these roles. So are you always mm -hmm. competing against other recruitment agencies? Um, I think that happens a lot more at the mid level and, and below at the more senior level, the client base is usually clients that you know really well and you've cultivated the relationship over a number of years. Um, so it's typically not um, a situation where you're competing against 10, 20, 30 other firms. It's more a case of, you know, they'll consider you and perhaps uh, two other firms for the, for the assignment. So for anyone who's either thinking about going into recruitment or is in recruitment now and thinking of making a bit of a change, is going into C-suite level recruitment um, an easy, straightforward path? Or would you recommend going in um, at sort of a lower level and working your way up to those assignments? Definitely a lower level because I think you need to, to earn your stripes <laughs> to do that. Um, so in, you know, in the lower and mid-level searches, I think you learn a lot. Um, you know, you learn about psychology, you learn when you're interviewing people, if something seems sort of not quite right, um, you get to know clients really well, understand what kind of personalities and company cultures fit well together. Um, I think it would be really difficult to go kind of a, from school straight into that. I think you need to have some, some life experience with it. Uh, for this level of recruiting as well, is it um, obviously you have a client base that you work with, um, but do you also do more um, headhunting than maybe other sort of recruitment roles? Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's different types of recruitment. So I tend to think of headhunting um, more in terms of what I do because it's a small pool of candidates, you know them well, and it's about figuring out the fit and then persuading them to, to join your client. Um, with kind of mass recruitment, it is, I would say much more probably about understanding the general skill set um, than it is necessarily delving into the psychology of things. Um, so I, I have a friend who uh, actually owns their own recruitment consultancy. And I was talking to him about uh, what it's like to work in recruitment a while ago. Um, and he said to me, a really interesting, he said, we're the only people that sell something that has an opinion. And that really kind of hit home <laughs> for me because, you know, you can work as hard as you want to get them in the door. But then if they don't like it, they're not going to take the job. Yes. Yes. That's so very that true. must be quite frustrating, I guess, at some, some points. Um. We have um, a very, very low rate of people not accepting the role when they're offered. Um, that happens maybe about, at most, I would say three times a year. Oh, wow. um, and there've been a number of years when it's not happened. And I think part of that is understanding what makes sense for a person. So, and it's a part that I find interesting. So it's getting to know, you know, 
okay, Daniel, what are you interested in? And for you, what's, what attracts you to a no, new role? What parts of your job do you like? What parts don't you like? So how can we work with the client to maybe change this role if needed and kind of sculpt it a bit more around what's interesting for you? Um, one thing we use, um, and it's a fairly recent development, is we use um, Hogan studies. So they're assessments of, well, they're predictors of workplace behavior, and they're a, a fantastic tool to figure out kind of what makes somebody tick, what kind of work environments they'll flourish in, what kind of colleagues they do well with. It's, um, it's very, very useful. In fact, I wish I'd had it um, uh, when I was younger. Are you seeing more and more of these tools becoming available to recruiters? You know, the things like uh, more in-depth psychological assessments, I guess, and, and things like that. Yeah, I mean, I think ones that have been relied on in the past, like Myers-Briggs, in my opinion, they have a, a very limited usefulness because they tend to divide people into categories. Um, and, you know, very few people kind of fit into a specific personality type. So I think they've evolved quite a bit. And also with this increased focus on diversity, I think companies are wanting to use them more and more because they can highlight candidates that have certain skills that may not have previously been considered. Mm. So what is an average day like for you day to day? Um. It is a lot of talking. <laughs> um, so it's mostly chatting with clients, speaking um, with candidates, a lot of relationship building. So a lot of checking in with people if something's happening in the market, dropping them a line, getting their thoughts on it. Um, you know, we've had some um, client retainers where we have um on top of just finding candidates for the client, we've also given them kind of market uh, market intel, for lack of a, a better expression. Mm. So we'll say, you know, we're hearing that X bank is doing this. We're hearing that people at Y bank are unhappy because there's a change in management, all these kinds of things. So it is um, uh, nothing particularly <laughs> tangible, but a lot of conversation. Um, a lot of networking, a lot of, um, uh, well, we work also primarily on referrals. So where we don't know um, the, uh, uh, where we don't have kind of an existing candidate pool to go to. Like for example, we had to find a, a CTO for one bank and we'd done very few searches in the technology space. So that was a lot of um, getting referrals, using our network to find out who people rated and that kind of thing. So there, there is that as a component to the role as well. Mm. So it sounds like, you know, recruitment and especially at the level you're recruiting, networking is just so, so critical. What is a tip for anyone thinking about getting in recruitment for how to go about networking? Um, I would say people like to talk about themselves. <laughs> so it is, um, I guess, a natural human condition. So I think that a lot of networking is asking people questions, a bit mm -hmm. like what you guys do, finding out more about them. And I think there's a, a misconception that networking is about kind of 
getting the contact details of people and, um, you know, just sending them your marketing materials. And I think networking is more about building relationships So going into it, almost thinking, you know, um, okay, Daniel, how, how can I help you? And maybe, you know, building a relationship in that regards, as opposed to looking at the person that you're trying to build a relationship with is, you know, being on the receiving end of uh, your marketing materials. Apart from obviously handing over a CV to a company um, and you, you talking to these people, um, how do you convey the information of, I've spoken to this person, their personality comes through quite well. How, how do you sort of sell that to a company? Um, do you mean if, if I think the person's a very good personality? Yeah. Friend? Yeah. Yeah. Um, normally it's a case of saying, you know, I know the organization values this. You're looking for somebody who can, for example, converse well with clients. So this person comes across extremely well, um, very personable. Um, one thing that is very handy for anybody looking to make a move in, on a CV is to have things that you can quantify. So it makes it so much easier for somebody in recruitment to say, you know, and I've spoken to let's call him Fred, and Fred has increased the client, the, his company's client base from 10 to 52, because things like that tend to separate people out from the pack. How much of what you're looking for is based on the job description you're given versus the, um, the potential boss of the person that you're going to look to employ? You know, because the description may say one thing, but um, the guy who, or the lady who is actually giving the job might mm -hmm. want other things. How, how, how do you judge that? Um, gosh, that is such a good question. Um, I would say... I think there's two levels to um, recruiting for a role. So there's a level of matching the skill set, so matching it to the the job description, um, and then there's kind of level two, which is matching it to the hiring manager and the colleagues. Mm. And I think this is where I've done a lot of work in diversity recently. This is where the diversity angle becomes very interesting because. Um, for example, you know, uh, a lot of people who are like the ideas people, the client facing outgoing people, <clears throat> when they interview people, even if it's for a role as, um, uh, let's say, IT support, they tend to uh, prefer candidates who have a personality similar to them, but those mm. who are more quiet and more earnest, they can kind of slip through the cracks just because of the, the difference in personality types. So I think that is that can be where the, the workplace predictors come in, but it's also, I think, the role of the recruitment consultant to say, I know this person comes across as you know, very quiet, very introverted, but they have excellent references um, from their previous employers, from people who've worked with them in the past. And I think they're really worth speaking with. And uh, what do you think are some personality traits that you think as a recruiter are really um, helpful? Um, helpful for recruiters or helpful for candidates? Yeah, yeah. so personality traits you may see in yourself that you think this yeah. has helped me, this is what I'm, I'm quite good at. 
Right. Well, you need skin like a rhinoceros. <laughs> <laughs> because you uh, get told no a lot, <laughs> especially <laughs> when especially when you're starting out, because a lot of times you'll approach people for a role, they won't be interested. Um, and it's a lot of not taking it personally. Um, I'm trying to think what else I can suggest. Um, and I would say uh, being a good listener, which goes back to the networking. So, you know, paying attention to what people are telling you, asking them lots of questions, because then for a client, you have the information about what makes people tick, who's out there. You can get um, referrals to the right candidates very easily. And I think that also increases the longevity um, in a role when a candidate gets there because you've kind of looked at all of those angles and realized that this does make sense for them. And for you, what would be one of the biggest positives um, you've had personally out of being in recruitment? Um, oh gosh, there's been so many. Um, I've really liked uh, my work. I've really liked the people I've worked with. You, when you're in recruitment, you can, you can kind of pick your clients to a great degree. So you, you tend to choose people that you enjoy working with, that you respect what they do. Um, I like the flexibility in it. I like the fact that it's meeting new people all of the time. Um, I like the kind of the puzzle aspect of it. Um, figuring out where everything sits and where you know the person fits there's there's a lot of aspects to it I really like and on the other side of that what would be some uh, less favorable aspects of this industry Ooh, um, I don't think anybody likes telling someone that they haven't been given the role yeah. or, or been offered the role and I think that's that's really the toughest and that that's also why I think hiring the right recruitment agent is important because that has to be handled quite delicately because it also reflects back on the hiring manager and the firm. Um, what I usually like to do is try and give people some constructive criticism along with it. Um, if, but you know, in so many circumstances, the headcount might get pulled. They've been told they have to make an internal hire. There's a change in direction. And that that can be very hard to convey to somebody kind of when they're already in their mind, they've got their, their resignation letter <laughs> written and ready to go. And, you know, you have very gently explain that, you know, it, it's nothing they've done. You know, they're very well regarded in the industry. They performed extremely well through the interview process. It's just a question of, you know, headcount being pulled or um, a, a change in management or whatever it may be. So you've also been doing some coaching, am I right, Lucy? I have, yes. So do you want to tell us a bit about that as well? Sure. Um, so I have tended um, to focus on people who have hit sort of a career plateau. And <clears throat> it's um, been looking at really how to build what I call a purpose-driven career. So we look at the um, Hogan Workplace Predictor Test. We look at motivators. So my clients on the coaching side are typically people in their 40s or in their 50s where, you know, 
they need to earn money, but it's not quite the pressing issue it was in their mm. 20s. So they can make certain changes in their career. And it, it I think uh, often people come with the idea of, you know, I'm fed up with banking, for example, and I'd like to be an artist, but artists won't pay the bills. So we start to look at things like, okay, well, what makes you want to be an artist? What do you find attractive about that? And then how can we maybe look at where you are now in your role now and incorporate that? So the career becomes much more of a, what we call a, a purpose-driven career. So is it kind of uh, aimed at maybe people who have become a little bit disillusioned with their current career path and they're just looking for some sort of change and some sort of, um, you know, something to get them out of bed again in the morning? Yeah, precisely that. And I think, you know, when when you guys don't have to worry about this yet, <laughs> in people's 40s and 50s, things kind of change in that, you know, the children are older, the house may be paid for this type of thing. And it's really a time to kind of look back and think, okay, well, my career may have plateaued because I've kind of hit the glass ceiling. So what matters to me and how can I, like you said, get out of bed in the morning, feeling happy about it and enthused. Have you seen much of a change over um, the year or so with COVID regarding these higher end roles? Um, well, there was a big pause in the beginning. Um, it's also been quite difficult uh, with the interview process because it's uh, for so many months it's had to be done by zoom and my my preference for interviews is always to have them done in person and uh, I think the whole zoom thing slows them down and it's more difficult to build that rapport with you know your potential new colleagues if it's done via screen and not in person um, so it is slower and I think I think you know on the, the candidate side people's views are starting to change so whereas before they wanted you know the the role that got them up the totem pole the quickest that paid the most money I think this whole movement to working from home and having things be closed has changed people's view and that they're valuing flexibility a lot more and I'm finding clients a lot more open to giving that flexibility as well yeah it's interesting isn't it what what do you think the city's going to look like when it sort of go back, goes back to normal because I've got friends that are that's still in the city and their companies are telling them you know don't expect to be in the office more than three times a week yeah I, I think that's where it's going to go. I mean, I think it's important to be in the office because you get that flow of information from your colleagues. You know, you're not having to schedule a Zoom call with them. You can just walk past their desk and have a chat. I think it's harder as well to create a kind of work culture if you're not physically together. Um, but I, I don't think it will go back to, you know, five days a week I think it like you say will probably be three um, and who knows I think probably at most we'll go back to five but with a lot of flexibility built into that because I think we have kind of proof of concept now and that it is possible to do your work via zoom and so on it may not be ideal but it's certainly possible I guess when when you kind of look back at it now, it seems quite old fashioned, doesn't it? It seems like, you know, there was no real trust between employers and employees. You know, you've got to sit at your <laughs> desk for whatever, eight hours a day. And if you don't leave, you know, you can't leave. But yeah. uh, that, that seems to have seems to have gone, thankfully. 
Yeah, yeah, I think so. And, you know, I don't think there's anybody that's going to, well, hopefully not anyways, go back to work and have their manager eyeing them when they have a washroom <laughs> or, or coffee break. <laughs> yeah. Um. So you must have seen quite a few CVs whilst you've been doing this. What is, you know, your number one sort of tip or number one thing you look for on a CV and you go, that is a really good CV? Yeah, that's a really easy question to answer. So it is um, somebody who quantifies things. So in whatever role they've done, they highlight their achievements and they're um, able to put a number to it. So, and it can be even things like, you know, was the employee of the month for three months of the past two years, you know, increased revenues from X to Y, increased efficiencies, added X many new clients, any kind of recognition they've had at work. It's, I find, you know, people are funny because they, um, in, in CVs I get of some very high profile people, they never kind of, uh, step back and think about their achievements they end up writing more of a job description and i'm always thinking you know we know what you do but the cv <laughs> is more like showing why you're great at what you do yeah so that is without question my number one tip and as a recruiter what would be something that's not in your just job description that you never expected to deal with um being in this role um that i never expected Hmm. You certainly meet some interesting characters. Um, <laughs> I've had people turn down roles for very odd reasons. Um, and then you can be in an awkward spot trying to relay that to a client. Um, uh, I think there was one where someone, once where someone had dated a relative and that had gone awry and that's why they didn't want to uh, work with a certain person and um, uh, that is very uncomfortable <laughs> to try and, <laughs> and to try and put a spin on that uh, to explain why someone doesn't want the role. Um, I'm trying to think of anything else. Uh, people management, because usually um, as a recruitment agent, you have a, a team around you, so researchers and people management can be quite trying it sometimes <laughs> especially when if they think you're their agony aunt and you know spats people have that you have to sort out um but i think i think that's it and uh would you still go into this industry knowing everything you know now i would although Ooh, i think it's changing been. quite a bit i think okay. it's becoming um kind of more and more commoditized so more on the LinkedIn profile, more yeah. on the set interview questions. Um, so I don't, I think it is more difficult at that kind of junior mid level because it becomes more difficult to build the relationships when the recruitment's done in that manner. Um, but so I you, think probably do you think tech's having a really big impact on recruitment then? I do. I do. I think it's um, for junior, mid-level um, mass recruitment as well. It's becoming a lot more keyword-based, um, a lot more, um, uh, I would say, a, a lot less personal interaction. 
and much more kind of box ticking through um, through recruitment systems. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Lucy. It's been uh, really interesting to hear about what you do. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you very much for having me on. Thank you so much. Um, where can people find you? Um, so our website is www.avonwickgroup.com. And uh, on LinkedIn, I'm under my full name. So it's Lucy Miranda Brown. Brilliant. Thank you so much for coming on. Great. Thank you both. Have a good evening. And you. Thanks, Bye. Lucy.